Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. The first one is I don't have a question, but want to say thanks for answering some of mine in prior sessions that helped. Good. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. So. Um, so then the next one is I'm a recovered addict. I never say that word. Working hey. with many men who are struggling with addiction. I have uh, been having a really hard time working with a man who I believe has an addiction to narcissism. How do you work with such people? Do you have success with such people? What is the prognosis for such men? Um, I have a question for all the dog house, but we'll get to that next. So let's and I actually talk have a about... question for you, which is, um, and I'm going to get this color right. Do you, I have a question for you, which is prognosis in terms of what do you think it means in terms of sexual recovery? Do you mean to, in terms of becoming a better person? What do you think that, that well, actually it, means? The only thing is I believe he, he has an addiction to narcissism. So to me, that the right, only identified, um, uh, uh, the only identified addiction is narcissism. So um, okay. So now, you know, we talk about narcissistic traits all the time with addicts, but uh -huh. please share. Well, narcissism is not an addiction. Uh, people who have addictions can be narcissistic because if you think about addiction, it's all about me, what I want, when I want, not thinking about others, no empathy, leave me alone, don't bother me. So every aspect of being an addict in many ways is about being a narcissist. But uh, in other words, the whole world revolves around me, whether it helps others or hurts others. But you and I have talked about people who in their active addiction will do incredibly narcissistic things, but in recovery will work triple hard to amend those and make people and bring their peace to it. So a narcissism is not an addiction. It is a character trait. And it is more pronounced in addicts because we get very self-focused in our addictions. When we leave our addictions, it isn't like we just, and I hear this from a lot of spouses, it's not like we just solve all those character, character logical and personality issues just because we're sober. And that is what you guys expect, which I understand, which is we're going to be nicer, more empathic, and more gentle people when we're sober. And we might be, but we are still going to be self-focused and unempathic because that's part of who we've always been. And it requires therapy and a lot of work on yourself. And I might say that the 12 steps are really a guide out of focus on the self and toward a focus on others for sure. Um, but in any he, case, he, he does ahead. add that he is also a sex addict. So there is clarity. Oh, okay. So he is a sex addict, but you know, apparently a high level of narcissism. So, well, I, I, I can't get this shirt to do what I want. It's um, fine. I know, but I'm narcissistic and I want my shirt to look right. Anyway, sorry, you guys are listening online. You'll, you'll get it. Um, so um, I think that the work with an, a narcissistic person is to stay out of any kind of criticism or control or, or even kind of challenging their thinking in a very direct way because they're going to experience that as criticism. But I think what works with the people that I, I work with who are more narcissistic is to really ask them, are the things you're doing bringing you what, they, what you want? You know, it's a very simple question. What do you want? Well, I want a healthy family. I want my spouse to stop bugging me. I want to have more, more time to spend with whatever. Okay, but you're spending all your money on sex workers and you're spending all your time looking at porn. And so with a narcissist, it's a lot about presenting these conflicts 
which aren't personal, like you're doing, it's just like, well, gee, you seem to want this, but, and this is what you're talking to me about as a sponsor and how I'm trying to help you, but then you're doing this. And I, I don't know which one is important to you, but, you know, so I think it's a lot about posing questions and being curious rather than challenging and confronting, unless, you know, I have to say someone like in my role with a lot of experience and running treatment programs, I can and do confront. Um, I confront a lot. In fact, I have a reputation for it with the clients, but that's because, you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. And I know that I know the timing. I know the situation. I know the words because I've done it a whole lot of times. And in fact, I think just to do a little advertising, one of the more useful things about going to treatment and seeking integrity is I'm doing some of the work. I'm there eight, 10 hours a week. So my confrontation skills show up. But in any case, I think unless you're a skilled professional, you can only say to somebody, you know, it seems like you were really in a crisis about that happening. Someone found out or there was a job issue and you came running to me wanting help. But now that the crisis is over, I'm curious. Don't you think what you. So anyways, it's really about pointing out incongruities in their thinking. The less confrontational you can be unless you're, you know, really skilled at it, I think the better because narcissists will think, well, you don't like me, or you're just picking on me, or, you know, because it is all about me. So, but the prognosis is good, provided the person has the capacity to be honest. That's all it takes. Recovery, if you can just tell the truth, your truth, your experience, be honest, you can get there. <laughs> but it takes the, so if someone is so narcissistic that they're constantly lying, constantly hiding, and even in recovery, they are still keeping whole blocks of things to themselves, they're not being honest. And without honesty, the whole thing is quite honestly up for grabs. So Tammy, I talked for a long time. Can you feel No, that, but that's really helpful. And so, so, you know, as a sponsor, we share our experience, strength, and hope. And um, and any addict, I, like I've shared this many times in my own, you know, 12-step journey. It's like, I'm grateful that the 12 steps are a suggested program of recovery. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any lengths to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. So it's doing the work. And like Dr. Rob said, the 12 steps, steps mm -hmm. four through a nine are the meat of the program. You know, 10 through 12 are, you know, the ongoing, you know, daily, um, the daily things. But four through nine is where you know, those character traits and character defects, you know, that's where, what we call them in 12 step is, you know, that's where we're working on those. So, so um, you know, I, but, I, you know, if you want what we have, you know, like Dr. Rob said, if you want, you know, a healthy family, if you want to have more money because, you know, because you're spending it on your acting out, I mean, here's what you can do, you know, but, um, uh, but you shared Dr. Rob before, too, that true narcissists don't really care. So they don't really seek help because they don't really care, right? Well, uh, narcissists like addicts seek help when they get in trouble or they're losing something important or their narcissism. A lot of narcissists struggle with relationships, as you can imagine. So I know for some of us, it's about, I've lost so many relationships. I let people down. I hurt them. I, I said things that weren't very nice. And I don't want to have these losses anymore, you know? So it's still about the self. Even in treatment, when men first come into seeking integrity or in other different kinds of care, you know, the first word, the, the, the first thought is, I don't want to be like this. I can't believe I hurt people. I feel so ashamed. I'm embarrassed. 
it's not really uh, empathy, like I can't believe what the people I love have gone through. It's about look at what I'm going through. So even in the early stages of recovery, that narcissism is still there because it's all about my pain and my unhappiness and my fear. I can't believe I did this to the people I love. Well, how about what they're feeling, what they're going through? But that part takes a while. And, you know, recovery takes as long as it takes. I mean, sobriety, but being a better person can take a long, long time. By the way, I typed something, Tammy, you're going to like this. Oops, if I can make it go. This is one of my favorite statements about narcissism. Uh, yes. Do you want to be right or be happy? And that is a right. great question for narcissistic folks. Yes, I, I think that that is, you know, and, and we can fight. Yeah, and, you know, and some people, you know, in Eddie Caparucci talked about this last Wednesday again, too. It's like at some Tell point, everyone who he is, because Eddie Caparucci to- does. I do um, does a, a, a on no on sex and relationship healing dot com. He does the third Wednesday of the month webinar. So in addition to Dr. Rob, we have a series um, uh, Alex. Uh, I've been saying his name wrong for the longest time. So Alex Avila is, uh, does the, the 40 forms of intimacy. He's the first week of the month and Kristen Snowden does the second. And then Dr. Eddie Caparucci, who wrote inner child and going deeper and why men struggle to love. He, you know, he, um, oh, is on the are third these week moderated of the month. Wait, 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 wait. And then Go Troy ahead. love is the fourth with attachment wounds, but every week of the, on Wednesdays, they are there doing like this only they have a lecture series as the first half oh. of it. And then they answer questions for people. But, but he talked about, um, uh, I forgot where I was going with this, but he, you know, he talked about that specifically with that they need, well, you want to be right. Or do you, yes, want to, yeah, right. yeah, you know, the fighting of like, well, you don't have that. Like you, you misunderstood what I'm saying, like digging in your heels and correcting, right. you know, is not very narcissistic. Well, but yeah, and it's not helpful to building a healthy relationship and, you know, his is getting to the other side. So it's about relationship. So, and whether it's a primary relationship with a significant other or just your work relationships, if you're always doing, well, I'm right. And you just don't understand it. You know, it drives a wedge versus, you know, showing up differently. So, but I, I do want to say now, okay, I want to get that right. Every Wednesday at what time? 9.30 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. Pacific time. Okay, and, and that every costs month, how much? Zero. Oh, it's Double free. zero. Okay, zero, really zero, good. zero. Yeah. But it's so, like yours and Dr. David's. And, and we've got a plethora, like that word, a plethora of webinars and drop-in groups on sex and relationship healing.com. Free. Free, free, free. We should make more of them into blogs. I mean, into podcasts, I think, because then people would hear. But anyway, it's a whole other conversation. Yes. I did want to say one more thing about narcissism, which is what's under it. Because narcissists are not just bad people who want, who think that they're, the world revolves them and they're, uh, that everyone should agree with them. I mean, we look like that. We look like, look how fancy this car is. That means I'm important. Or look at this degree I have. That means I'm special. Or look at this person on my arm. That They're beautiful. So, I mean, th- but what's underneath all that is a, a is desperate insecurity. The reason I have to put out there this face, this, this aren't I amazing face is, is the opposite. Uh, if, and this is where all this stuff comes in. If you knew me, 
if you really understand what was going on inside of me, you wouldn't love me. You wouldn't care about me. You'd abandon me. So I'm going to put up a front that is pretty much unsealed at the, and that brings people in to think I'm great, but I don't let anybody criticize or judge me in my mind because they might get underneath to that. I'm not good enough part, but trust me, beneath every narcissist is a very insecure person who's afraid of being abandoned. And that's what the narcissism is. It's a, it's a, a lid on that. It's a mask. And uh, it's one of the things you, that you have to deal with in treatment, because if you're going to get somebody to really understand what their partner has been through, then they have to pull that mask off and see themselves clearly. Um, good thing we have them for four weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, 14, 21 or 28 days. But, you know, that's every addict, Dr. Rob. It's not, I mean, in that facade and that compartmentalization. I mean, like, I remember, like, you're talking about that. And I remember if they really knew who I was, you know, uh, you know, I'm unlovable. And so, so, and now like in recovery, you know, people can like me or not, and, and that's okay. It doesn't change who I am and I don't have to change to be something for them, you know? So, right. so with recovery, that journey is so healing and you know and it changes everything but it is a journey and there's no you know magical you know fix for things but i think that's also why you know every addict looks narcissistic because it is all about you know me and staying keeping pu people pushed away i want you close but stay away you know that that whole crazy yeah it's crazy but that's addiction okay he has another part i'm a recover oh no wait no i um i have also have a question about out of the doghouse for men who are addicts with SSA, um, same-sex attraction, and how different is that betrayal with any different ideas on how to get healing for such couples? So can you talk about that? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the person. I think that, and I want to be very, very general, okay? This is general. It's not specific to every person, but in general, women seem to feel that sexual behavior outside of their relationship is not just something they didn't agree to and is awful and they're angry about and they were lied to that's for sure in place but they also think of it as a direct threat to um well how do i say this as a direct threat to love like if you're doing this you don't love me and i hear that a lot from spouses how can you love me and do this at the same time and i think that is in general, more of a woman's experience because you very closely track sex and intimacy. Healthy women don't generally go have sex with people that in some way they don't care about or some way they don't feel connected to or appreciate unless they're really drunk and wish they still do it, whatever. Um, but men tend to, men in general tend to not only look at, and I'm talking about healthy men, be able to separate sexuality and relationships so I can go to that bachelor party in Vegas where there's a, a stripper, you know, and then I can go home and it doesn't mean anything to me. I don't think it had anything to do with my relationship. It was a bunch of guys going to Vegas bachelor party. But if I come home and tell you my female partner that I was out there watching naked women undress, you would say things like, I can't believe you did that. I thought you loved me. What does our relationship mean to you? And, and I'm as a guy thinking, well, but all I did was, you know, whatever it is with a stripper. So by the way, ladies, you don't like hearing this. Um, it's much easier, and we know this as men, that what you want to hear is love, romance, flowers, vacations, jewelry. But every man is every man. And I'm telling you, most, if not all men, have the capability to split off sex from relationship. So if you're a man, you already know that. So if you are a man in your relationship with a man, um, you can more easily understand, I think, that there is a casual sex. 
I mean, occasionally that might happen and it isn't necessarily a direct threat to the love that you share because men understand that men can compartmentalize. However, if you are a man who has not just had a little bit of a little, little bit of this or that, but is truly addicted and crazy, then any partner is going to say, male or female, oh my God, like what is going? I thought you loved, but you know. So, um, I don't think that the main themes of Out of the Doghouse are particularly different for two men versus a man and a woman. Um, the reason I wrote Out of the Doghouse is. Uh, Okay, Out of the Doghouse, A Relationship-Saving Guide for Men Caught Cheating, which is a book and a course, and my most popular book, by the way. Um, it's, it's there to teach men how to have empathy for their partners. And I think that um, addicts, and men in particular, you know, we're not particularly good at wanting to understand or listen or ask questions, or we just kind of want to have the answer and fix it. And when I'm having an affair and you get upset with me, I just want to fix it. You know, and I want, it's been six weeks and I've sent you flowers and you know I don't care about them anymore, so you're gonna, you should forgive me. And so I've never met a man yet in my entire life who really knows how cheating affects and bet what betrayal trauma is, how it affects a woman. It doesn't mean that men aren't traumatized too. It's just that men in general are kind of not particularly good at, at cleaning up uh, broken intimacy. We think flowers, you know, it's going to be easy. And so I wrote this book because it takes maybe a year or longer for there to be some kind of trust and relationship restored. And that's provided that the guy who did all this to the woman he's involved with does these things because men don't, men don't always understand how to be empathic. It is equally the same for being with a man, which is, I know that I have no idea how to make you feel better. I have no idea how to, but I do know that there is a path. And let me say one more thing about doghouse, because um, sometimes people say, well, my husband isn't really, or my wife isn't really being empathic. They just learned it from your book or your course. And my answer is that may be true. <laughs> they may not know how to inside of themselves feel empathy, or, but but if I can teach someone to act empathically, then that's going to bring them a reward. Because if you say, I'm angry and this, I can't believe you did this. And I say, you know, you're absolutely right. I really hurt you and let you down. I don't know what I was, you know, empathic. Then you're probably going to get a little less angry or you're probably going to be a little bit kinder. So I have learned that if I say things this way over time, you are going to act more gently and more lovingly. And if I say them the way I used to, you're not. And so what I am training people is by their experience to learn that they get further and they are heard better and things de-escalate when they act empathically. And if you do it long enough, you will just be empathic. You know, it's practice and then practice makes perfect. And unfortunately, many of us who have trauma will never, I won't ever natively experience empathy in certain circumstances. Um, I do sometimes, but not always. What I've learned in a lot of therapy and recovery is, yes, I do have that deficit, but I can clean it up. We have steps in the 12 steps that say, look at your behavior this today. It doesn't meet your values and needs. Okay, maybe not. Go back and clean it up. That's part of doing the steps regularly. So uh, in answer to your question, I think it's a great course and a great book for any man who's dealing with having hurt a partner. The only caveat is I haven't written the book for women who cheat on men yet. Um, and that's going to take a woman to write because I've decided that's not my expertise. So Tammy, I'm not even sure if I answered that question, but you, hopefully you did. You did a great job, and there was a lot there. So I, I have a bunch of things to take on. So on sexandrelationshiphealing.com, we have a 
drop-in group for men who are betrayed partners. We have a female addict um, drop-in group free too, but, but for the men, uh, they can be in a relationship with a woman or with a man and, and they are there and they get support. So that is number one, the out of the doghouse for men who have been caught cheating. I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, it can be for both. We have the out of the doghouse work groups, six week live facilitated. So there's, there's homework, but there's also peer connection um, that can be for people who have struggled with addiction, but it can also be for people who have just cheated, you know, because it still is a fracture of, um, of trust. Uh, um, I want to go back to what you're talking about, too. The, uh, one of the sayings around 12 steps is act your way into good thinking. You can't think your way into good acting, but you can act your way into good thinking. So what you're demonstrating is if I do these things and that, then my thinking starts to change. But like you said, right. there was a, oh, that went what? That went better than my normal mm -hmm. way. And, you know, there was this big escalation. So, oh, I'm going to do more of that. I, I, you know, I think addicts that come into recovery are at, you know, the kindergarten level, you know, on an emotional basis. And so it takes time to, to work through all of that, you know, and some of us are faster learners. Some of us have more brokenness, you know, and, and more going on. And some of us, you know, just plain aren't as willing as others. So, so, you know, I, I would encourage uh, the sponsor to suggest the out of the doghouse work group, you know, the next time it's offered, you know, for that and, you know, and see, but at, at some point, everybody on their recovery journey gets to pick, do they want to be in a better relationship? Do they want to still have the same chaos? I personally think we all deserve to be in you know, healthy relationships. We deserve to have the joy of having connection, you know, but not everybody, you know, not everybody's ready for that. This person did tag on and say, I find it almost impossible for him to have any empathy for his wife that, you know, and it right. seems like fact, empathy and narcissism are mutually exclusive. And they are, and they are. Yeah. Yeah. But, so. but oh, I wanted to say two more things. Um, there mm -hmm. is a Christian version of Out of the Doghouse. Mm -hmm. And I've heard some people who are very faith-based. In fact, that's why I, I, mm -hmm. I wrote that, rewrote that book with a really good friend of ours who is a pastor. And she mm -hmm. and I, well, she primarily added a lot of scripture for those folks who mm -hmm. feel more comfortable relying on that word rather than just the psychological. There is a Christian version of Out of the Doghouse. A redemptive thing, guide for men caught cheating. Instead it's of a redemptive guide. A redemptive instead of a step-by-step -step relationship. Tammy, it looks guide, like so. you're reaching into heaven. Like you completely, does, your arm it? disappears. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. I did want to say something else about what you said, um, which is, well, two things. They say in some of the 12-step programs that when I'm pointing one finger at you, there are three, three pointing back pointing at me. Back. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's part of addicts is we make everything, part of being narcissistic is it's never your fault. Mm -hmm. It's your fault and your fault and your fault because I don't want to look at myself. That's part of being narcissistic. So I will blame my spouse. I will blame. And then I'll feel entitled. Like you're not very attentive to me and you gained all this weight. You're, you did this. So I'm entitled to go act out and do whatever I want. Or I'm putting all my money and energy into XYZ and I'm not getting much back. So I'm entitled. Entitlement, by the way, is a good example of narcissism. If you're nobody's entitled, you know, we can hopefully be deserving or worthy, but no one is entitled. Um, the last thing I want to say was something related to what you, and by the way, when I look down, I'm not uh, working on a phone, I'm taking notes. Um, if you see me, however, doing this, whatever, then I'm on the phone. Um, so Tammy mentioned 
what I would consider to be intellectual age versus emotional age. And I think this is a real challenge for some of the men I work with because some of them are so bright and have really achieved a lot in their lives, or they can see the path ahead toward achieving a lot. And so intellectually, they may be very gifted and they've been able to have ideas, have dreams and follow through on them. So on the intellectual end, it feels like, wow, I'm really good at whatever and I can get my needs met, blah, blah, blah. blah. But emotionally, they're five. And they don't understand that emotion of their five because they they look at themselves as being one person. Intellectually and successfully, I'm all of this. And so I think part of dealing with narcissism is helping inform the um, the older, the intellect part that the little kid has been running the show. And this is what Eddie Caparucci talks about and trying to be able to examine, okay, because addicts are really little kids. And these little kids are not there to terrify us. I really believe addiction is my friend. It is by the little young part of me pulling on my arm, saying, pay attention to me. You need something. Go call somebody. The problem is being an addict. I don't want to hear it. I'm like, shut up. Leave me alone. I'll handle it on my own. And so that relationship between the intellectual adult and the emotional child has to be built as a part of recovery. Um, and that allows me to um, be my emotional age to some degree. So, yeah. That was it. All I wrote all I wrote. Okay. Next one. I'm a betrayed partner. 16 months post D-Day trickle. He is sober and stuck at step three. His most recent event was looking at not porn on YouTube two days ago. Prior to that, he touched me inappropriately and I held up my boundary. He doesn't understand why I'm still upset. I get the apology for those actions five minutes ago. He he's also present. Can you tell him why I'm so upset with him right now, please? I think you could probably do that, Tammy, but why don't we No, both go try? ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I do want to talk about the not porn YouTube because like we're hearing more and more about that too. So, yeah. Well, uh, um, a lot of what we study, or I want to say study, hold on a second. I want to get back to the question. Um, so a lot of what we talk about in recovery for partners is this thing called betrayal trauma. And it's called trauma for a reason. We see it like, um, someone who's been through war, someone's been through an earthquake, or someone's been through some long-term imprisonment, uh, which some of you partners have been. But when you've been through a traumatic event, you are always scanning to see where that next traumatic event is going to come from. Because if something just happened to you, you're kind of looking to see, well, where is it going to happen again? Where is it going to... For example, you may, if you have a car accident, you may really avoid driving for a while. And when you drive, you find yourself driving slower and looking around because you've had a trauma. So where um, someone touching you, I mean, your husband touching you in a way that you that didn't feel right or comfortable, perhaps if he wasn't a sex addict or she wasn't a sex addict, it wouldn't bother you. It'd be like, hey, get out of there. What are you thinking? You know, But because there's a history of trauma here around sexuality, it brings up all these feelings that are much bigger or seem much bigger than the actual incident. And this happens with us all the time because you know, as an addict, I may come home 20 minutes late because I was stuck on the freeway bringing groceries home to you. But I, it's six, it's quarter after six and I was supposed to be home at six. And so you think, oh, my God, you're at it again. You're late again. That's not because I necessarily was. I was actually at the grocery store, but it doesn't matter because the feeling that brings up for you is, oh, my God, when they used to be late, they were at this. And now they're probably at it again. And so and by the way, 
having a lack of empathy means we just say to you, well, I was just getting the groceries and what's the big deal? And I was doing this for you and you should have seen the traffic rather than hopefully you got this five minutes ago. You know, I realized this is very out of the doghouse. You know, I realized the other day when I was defending the grocery, well, how silly was that? Of course you would think that every time I go out and I'm late and acting out, I did it for so many years. And I'm so sorry that you have to carry that with you every time I come late. That might happen later after the out of the doghouse course. But regardless, when, when one of your boundaries is crossed, here's another way of thinking about it much more minor than the one you're talking about. But I had a woman end her relationship with her spouse because he was lying about taking out the garbage. I mean, literally he was lying about it. And, you know, he said he took it out, but he didn't. And then she was changing her clothes and he took it out and she realized it. And, and she said to him, you know, if I can't trust you to just take out the garbage, when you're going to take out the garbage, how can I trust you to not to tell me when you're having an affair or you're acting out? So we do do those things like uh, not get why you're upset, but we can learn how to help you. We can learn how to help you understand that we do know what made you upset. Um, so uh, the reason you're still upset is because it's a trigger for all the things in the past. And how could it not be? Um, but it's so not okay that he touched you that whatever inappropriate was. And I think that I would want him to come back with an answer. Like, what did your therapist say? Or what did your sponsor say? Or are you looking at it differently? Um, because um, I don't just want to hear the right words. I want to know that the person with actually understands what they did and why I'm so hurt. So anyway, Tammy, now what did I miss? No, well, I'm stuck back on the uh, two days ago. He looked at not porn and then oh, okay. apologized. I'll take the second so, half. You take the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I'm like, it, there, there's a whole bunch here. It's like, why are you stuck on step three? Those are like, you know, who, who, your sponsor can help you get through those. So steps four through nine, I mentioned it earlier. That's where the meat of the work is. is so like, that's how you start to make big shifts. You know, I know lots of people that hang out on step three because they're just a scared. They're afraid of, of scared. They're a, afraid of doing step four. And I'm like the most freeing stuff was steps four and five for me, the most freeing. So I would encourage you to get unstuck, um, um, you know, on that, but I'm also going, did you partner discover him doing that or did he come to you five minutes ago and that's when you knew and, and it matters because if there's a 24-hour rule in place which i hope you have and if you aren't familiar with that it is um about how um long of a time frame that you um have to yeah that, that you have mm -hmm. to come forward and say you know i looked at um, a not porn YouTube and that's in my inner circle. And, you know, I, and here's what I've, I've done since then. I've called my sponsor. I'm going to a meeting, whatever. Here's what I'm doing to, to rectify that. But, but if it's like you found out two days ago and he's just coming forward, well, I, that's a and big I wanna, problem too. Tammy, yeah, I really want to add to that because it just struck me and I'm glad you pointed out. So I hate to say this to you, I'll say SM because you put your initials there. I hate to say this to you, SM, but I don't think your partner's sober. I because don't I have never heard, I mean, I've heard a lot of, well, I just happened to look at this on Instagram and, you know, it isn't really porn because I saw it on TikTok. It's like, well, uh, yeah, it is. 
someone's running around in bathing suits and, you know, playing, you know, they may not be doing something that is overtly sexual, but if you're sitting there for an hour and a half looking at Instagram photos of women or men, depending on what turns you on, that is a slip. And so one of the things that might trigger me in your situation is somehow deep inside feeling like, oh, I thought, how can he work on this? And it can be sober to look at YouTube videos. I mean, it's nothing wrong with looking at YouTube videos if you and I are trying to figure out how to. In fact, Tammy, I figured out how to do the clean cycle on my washing machine by watching a YouTube video. And I was really glad because I didn't know how to do the clean tub thing. And now I do. But I don't sit around and look at people, you know, uh, cavorting at a club in Vegas by the near naked pool, because it may be on YouTube, but it certainly isn't good for my recovery. So I really wonder if this person, what this partner of yours is calling sobriety may not really be sobriety, even if he believes it. Um, that doesn't sound right to me. And by the way, I've had a lot of guys come to Seeking Integrity for Treatment who said this exact thing, which is, well, I was just looking at Instagram or, you know, and then not too long later after we robbed little confrontation, it becomes, yeah, the truth is I was scanning all that stuff for images and I didn't want to look at the porn because then I'd have to say I had a slip, but I can look at the almost porn and it's the same thing. The same thing drives it. And it's, it's the same kind of secrecy. By the way, I would ask him, if you really want to know, to show you what not porn videos he was looking on at YouTube. And if it isn't something you'd want to show your, I don't know, 12-year-old kid, then it probably isn't okay. Um, yeah, and no matter what he says. So thanks, Tammy, because I, I just looked at that. I don't think he is sober. I don't um, either, yeah. I mean, maybe periods of some abstinence, but I mean, that is not any kind of, you know, quality sobriety or recovery. So, but um, I looked at a YouTube video on how to clean my luggage because my luggage was really dirty on the outside. And so, so yeah, that's the kind of YouTube I'm looking for useful things that will clean my well, luggage. I have to tell you that to clean the tub, you have to press the control lock and the eco at the same time. And I'm just every, too every, old for that. Every, I can't every figure out. Every model is different. So yes, yes. But but yes, those are really useful. And yes, I've looked up a lot of But not for, for what our yeah, folks yeah, are looking yeah, for. Exactly. And by the way, some people have on their plans, no Instagram, no YouTube, no yeah. TikTok. They're there yeah. for a reason. Okay, no let's Facebook. go on, Tammy. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, it's like being really clear about what recovery is and isn't is incredibly helpful and useful for partners to understand too. Like to feel safe. they, they yeah. should know. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.